You can grab your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 2. I, uh, two weeks ago, started a series that I, I didn't intend to start a series. It just kind of happened that way. And uh, we started a series taking a look at the Pentecostal earmarks or earmarks of Pentecostal Christianity in the Bible and in history. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we started this. I intended maybe at max for it to go two weeks, and now we're on week number three. So I'm hoping that today we can finish this up, and uh, we'll, see how, we'll see how far we get today. But in, in your bulletin, there's notes. Of course, we always say that. Uh, there's notes in the bulletin. You can use those if you would like to. But just to kind of review where we've been this past couple of weeks, uh, starting at the top of your notes, if you have those, we're a Protestant Pentecostal church. Amen. <laughs> We are Protestant and that we identify with the Protestant Reformation and that, uh, that is, we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. You don't have to go to someone to get, get a blessing to come before God because of what Jesus did on the cross. We can come boldly, the Bible says in Hebrews, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And we're Pentecostal because we identify with the baptism in the Holy Spirit that took place on the day of Pentecost. Amen. Um, First earmark of, of Protestant, pro, Protestant Pentecostal Christianity, one is the baptism and the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. When you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, you, there, there is a supernatural endowment of power that comes upon you and I. Amen. Hallelujah. That we could be baptized as John the Baptist said of Jesus, that he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. fire. Amen. The second thing is that there's passionate worship, that we are passionate worshipers, that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, that that when we walk and live according to the Spirit, that the reality of what Christ has done in our lives becomes more and more real, becomes more and more real. The Holy Spirit makes it more and more alive to us, the person of Christ and the sacrifice that He paid and He made for you and I, that we can walk and live in a place of passionate worship. That it's not just something that we do on Sundays when we come to church, that we can live every day in a place of passionate worship. Number three, physical manifestations. Even though we don't focus on physical manifestations, and that's not our focus, they do happen. And we, we, we don't think that that's hokey pokey or spooky. It should be part of our everyday life. <laughs> We should see that on a, on a normal basis. Supernatural ministry is the next. Again, this isn't just something for the, for the preachers and the teachers and the people on the stage. You and I, every single one of us, should walk in supernatural ministry. When someone, when someone says to you, hey, can, can, can you be praying about this, that we should immediately seize an opportunity for supernatural ministry. It's not just, oh, I'll, yeah, okay, God bless you, see ya. But we begin to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to minister through us. And then we're going to pick up uh, on number whatever today. The last two today. I think the numbers are messed up on my paper. And so uh, before we do, I want to show this video clip. We didn't get to show it last week. But to wrap up supernatural ministry, Jesus said in Acts 1-8 that you shall receive... You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my 
witnesses. There is a supernatural power that comes upon us for supernatural ministry that uh, you and I cannot accomplish on our own strength. If we look back, for example, the life of Peter, they were doing miracles and things before Jesus' death and resurrection. And so what's different about Holy Ghost power? Well, if you notice, Peter was the same one denying he ever knew Jesus. And so there's a boldness, there's an unction that comes with the Holy Spirit empowerment that enables you and I to minister in a whole new level, in a whole new place, that we begin to walk in the Spirit. We have sensitivity to the Spirit, and we begin to yield to the empowerment of the Holy Ghost in our lives. And so let's show that video clip. If Jesus could trust the Holy Spirit, and he did, Jesus staked everything that he had on the Holy Ghost. Remember that. Never forget it. The Son of the Living God staked absolutely everything, and I do not mean to be sacrilegious when I word it just as I have. I mean just as I've said. When Jesus walked this earth, he was as much man as he were not. That's the reason he could have yielded to temptation. If Jesus could not have yielded to those temptations, then those temptations would have been a farce. And the secret of those miracles and the life and ministry of Jesus was the Holy Spirit. Cancer? Well, about a year. How long have you been paralyzed? About three months. You believe God can heal? Yeah, Lord. All right, here it comes. Lord, according to your faith, Lord Jesus, give this woman the desires of her heart. Remove this old cancer, God. God, heal this old paralyzed, God, condition of these legs. Raise her up for thy glory, God, and thy power in thy name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Try to move them old legs. Hunt for that old cancer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid. Let her go ahead if she wants to get up. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Praise him, Mama, as you do it. Everything you do, do in the name of the... Mother, you need to go home and get something to eat. Hallelujah. Not because I... Oh, yeah. I've been confined mostly to the bed for about a year. About a year? Yes. You believe Jesus could get you out of bed after laying there a year? Yes, sir. <laughs> I believe you do believe it. Hallelujah. Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let the power of God go through this woman. Raise her up in the name of the Lord. Let the virtue of God flow. Lord, in the... Jesus in my name. That's all right in thy name. Hallelujah. Let her up in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. After a year, stand on your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sister, you're going to have to take her by the hand and kind of lead mother because she's weak. I want God to heal these eyes also. 
God strengthened these eyes. After a year of laying in bed, God, you've raised her up. Now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, heal these eyes also, Lord, for your glory. Take a hold of her, sister. You don't have to hold her up. Just, just take a hold of her hand. She'll walk. God's gave her strength. You can see. Did you say you can see? Be better yourself. I will go to God. The whole thing's done. Raise your hand. I will go to God. The whole thing's done. Raise your hands and at Church on the Rock. The Lord spoke to my heart that He would never leave me nor forsake me. And He's...
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed. Blessed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory, hallelujah. Samahulah. 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 Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, praise God. <laughs> then was our mouth, then was our mouth filled with laughter. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. chapter 2. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost had fully come, <laughs> they were all with one accord at one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting on, and, and yeah, and then appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled. Just isn't funny. Ooh. Oh, um, oh, they were all filled. Oh. <laughs> 
They were off. With the Holy Ghost. When they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm going to get it together, I promise. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. I'm telling you, when the Holy Ghost begins to blow, it's like, oh. the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues and the Spirit gave them utterance. Oh. And we, 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 we heard them, verse 11, we heard them speak in our, own, in, in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, <laughs> maybe you're saying that today, <laughs> what, what could this mean? Oh, and others mocking, and they were full of new wine. And Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day. We're not drunk. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And verse 32 says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received, received, Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Verse 37 says, Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received this word were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were added to them. And verse 42, And then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread and prayers. And then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Amen. And so so the next point... The next earmark of Pentecostal Christianity 
is supernatural fellowship. In verse 42 through 44, we see that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread. And it goes on. Genuine fellowship is one person giving themselves, giving something of themselves that costs them something and is returned by the other person. The Bible uses the term koinonia, which we'll talk about in a moment. But there are three elements of supernatural fellowship that we see here in Acts chapter 4. Number one is that they were united in purpose and passion. The verse 44, in verse 44 it says, And all who believed were together. That word together is the word epi. It means that they are united in purpose and heart. They have one heart, one mind, engaged in the same community. What does that mean for you and I? You and I are engaged in the same purpose and passion here at Celebration Church. Our, our mission is to bring life, hope, and healing to this community. Our, our ministry, our purpose, why you and I exist are to bring life, is to bring life, hope, and healing. We are endued with supernatural power from on high to bring life, hope, and healing. Amen. Number two, it says that they were engaged. Basically, they were engaged in intentional relational community. What does that mean? That you're engaged in intentional relational community. They had fellowship. In verse 42, it says that they were in partnership. They were in fellowship together. They continued in fellowship. That word koinonia means supernatural fellowship. It's the same word meant for husband and wife intimacy, meaning that they were together in supernatural fellowship and partnership. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 8 when he talked about the Macedonian church imploring them that they would partake or be partners in ministry to the saints. In other words, that you and I are together in supernatural fellowship with one another. It's, it's intentional relationships. It's not, um, we don't have cliques and we don't sit in judgment of one another. We don't, we don't sit and say, oh, you know, that person's sin and their issues. We don't sit and gossip. No, we're in supernatural harmony and supernatural fellowship with one another. Uh, Romans 12 verse 10 says that we all strive to outdo one another in showing honor, that we're together in supernatural fellowship. We have intentional relational community. You and I intentionally have relationship with one another. We don't haphazardly um, come to church on Sunday mornings and we sit in the pew and go home and, and not ever talk to anyone outside of church, don't have a relationship outside of church. No, it's intentional fellowship. We are a community built together on the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. They were breaking of bread. The, they were engaged in relational community through fellowship. They were engaged in relational community through eating together. They had fellowship together, and they ate together. I normally get up and walk around. I'm afraid to walk around today. I'm barely, I think I feel like I'm barely standing up here. There, I really want to walk around. But they, they, they were eating together. They had fellowship together. You need to go eat together. Go. The men have a breakfast, the men's breakfast. They get together and they eat together. They fellowship together. The, we have a men's rally coming up. We're eating together and fellowshipping together. The women have an eating together and fellowshipping together. Every, we need to eat. We need to eat. We're Pentecostal. We need to eat. <laughs> How do you know we're Pentecostal? That's the underlying earmark. We eat. <laughs> we eat well. <laughs> Eat healthy. Stop drinking your Cokes and I'll stop. <laughs> we eat. We eat in fellowship together. 
Thirdly, they prayed together. The word that they prayed together here, they continued in prayer together, is the word prosecumai. It means that they prayed according to something. They got together and they prayed according to what they were hearing taught. The apostles would preach and teach and they would get together and they would pray together according to what they heard taught and what they heard preached. What does that mean? Today, you should go home and say, Lord, we talked about supernatural fellowship. How am I a part of this supernatural fellowship? What are you doing in my life to be a part of this fellowship? It's not a laundry list of what you want God to do. It's coming to him and saying, God, what do you want to do in my life? I've heard this word. You've spoken this over my life. You've, had, you've communicated this word from our pastor. What is it that you're saying to me specifically? And then the, er, the third element of supernatural fellowship is that they, they preserved, they were preserved in the apostles' teaching. I've taught this before, but that word continued steadfastly, verse 42, that word continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine means to be preserved in. It means to keep from, from decay, to prevent decay or spoiling, to keep preserved for, for, for future use. I'm I am intoxicated well this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> We, we, we are kept and we are preserved through the apostles' teaching. That means when you come and you sit in an atmosphere like this and you receive the word and you, you sit in Sunday school classes and small groups and, and you begin to receive the, the apostles' teaching, it's preserving you. It's like going and having the preserver put salt on you. You're being preserved for future use. Each and every one of you, under the sound of my voice, have gifts and talents and abilities that God wants to use. He wants to bring to maturity in your life. Amen. God has gifts and, and abilities in your life that he wants to bring to maturity in your life. He wants to preserve those for use. He wants to begin to manifest those in his church to build this local body. He's, he's building a tabernacle for his presence that impacts this community. So you are being pre preserved or kept from spoiling. They weren't in... They weren't in uh, defiance of their leadership. They were in unity with their leadership. They were, they were sitting under, continued under, their leaders teaching and preaching. Everyone, our goal is everyone finding their place to serve. You can come and you can sit and receive, but you can receive and receive and receive and receive and become just a uh, Jabba the Hutt. Is that what we, that's the term from, what's that from? What movie is that from? Star Wars, thank you. You just, you just, you come and you sit and you just get big, an old fat thing, just sitting there. Uh, spiritually, I'm not making, yeah, I'm not making any analogies <laughs> physically here. Uh, I might step back here again. <laughs> For protection. You're not... You're just, you're sitting and, and receiving and receiving. If there's no outflow, you eventually become like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because there's no outflow. And, and you become full of uh, judgment. You begin to sit in judgment of other people. You begin to make criticisms about other people. Charles Spurgeon has a quote that, that Christians who become uh, people who don't serve, who don't minister, become like honeybees that turn to wasps and begin to fight and sting other people because they're not busy about making the honey. And you and I have to be busy about making the honey. We have to be busy about ministering to the hurting and the broken around us. If you find yourself sitting in a place of uh, complaint or criticism or judgment, I would encourage you to find a place to serve. It's really hard to sit 
and judge people when you begin to love on the hurting and the broken that are around us. Ephesians 2 verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and our God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. If Jesus is our cornerstone, then that means you and I can take a look at our lives and see how well we compare to the ministry of Jesus. When's the last time you went and raised the dead, healed the sick, healed the lepers? You began to minister life, hope, and healing to the broken around you. That's the ministry that you and I are called to. That's the fellowship that you and I are called to. It's not so that we can come and pat each other on the back and say, oh, I go to that church on Dan Street. What's that? The church on Dan Street. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to impact this city and the region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a quote about the Azusa Street Revival that says this, while the mission was led by an African-American pastor dominated by an African-American membership and heavily influenced by African-American worship patterns, it quickly developed into a multi-ethnic and multi-racial congregation. It would be unfair to claim that the only influence that played a role as the mission was the African-American one. Non-African Americans did bring their own gifts and experience. Experiences, the revivalist camp meeting tradition so prevalent among whites as well as blacks on the American frontier clearly contributed much to the mission's music, preaching, and prayer life. The more radical worship services in various Wesleyan holiness congregations in Los Angeles had given plenty of room for the white folk that participated in them to shout or to fall on the floor as they were slain in the spirit. Recent Russian and Armenian Moroccan immigrants uh, already practiced the unusual jumping and chanting also found at the mission. And so this was just an observation that someone had made about the Azusa Street Revival, that it wasn't just blacks or whites or this or that. There was a, there was a whole conglomeration. Man, that's what heaven's going to be. It's going to be a whole conglomeration of ethnicities, backgrounds, and testimonies. I don't know about you, but I don't want a church that just looks all the same. I want a church that looks like heaven. I want a church that sounds like heaven. I want a church that feels like heaven. When people walk in this place, that they look, see, and smell the fragrance and aroma and the, the ethnicities of heaven in this place. That takes us getting out of our comfort zones and beginning to reach the city that God's called us to, beginning to make an impact on the community. It's through Pentecostal power that we reach our community. Oftentimes, we become too comfortable with our current arrangements that we forget we are merely pilgrims on a journey endeavoring to live as light among the darkness. How shameful we must appear when we profess citizenship in another kingdom and yet appear to have become permanent residents in a land that we call temporary. Have you ever stopped and thought what the, what the world thinks about you as a Christian? Is there enough light radiating from you that when you talk about being part of this church and part of a Protestant Pentecostal church and you start talking about the power of God and the presence of God and you start identifying with those things, is there something that's coming from you that the world can recognize and say, oh yeah, they're not, they're not from this world. They're, there's something different about them. They're, they're a part of this world, but they're not of this world. There's something different. And, and I want to encourage you 
and I'll preach to myself here, that you and I should live lives that reflect and radiate the presence of God, that no matter where we go, that people see that there's something different about us, that we don't look and act and think and dress and yada, yada, yada how the world does. There should be, there should be something different about us. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. Now, I know in saying that, there are folks here who say, well, I do this or that, or I have this issue or that issue. I mean, we're not going to be perfect until we get to heaven, and, and everybody, we all, you know, every excuse under the sun. All those things are excuses for you to live how you want to live and not live how God's calling you to live. Christianity was never meant for you to be comfortable. People have died and given their lives from the very beginning of this thing, and you want to sit in church and act like the world, live like the world, dress like the world, talk like the world. Excuse me. I, the last time I read my Bible, if you go to Hebrews 11, there's a whole list of people that, that this world, the Bible says, is not worthy, and we want to sit in church and play games? No, I don't think so. We should be different. There should be something different about us. Acts 17, verse 6 says, this about those. We live in a place, we live in a place, before I read Acts 17, 6, we live in a place, Protestant Pentecostal Christianity, we ought to live in a place where we challenge the status quo, where we, where we carry the presence of God on our lives, that just by who we are, we challenge the status quo, the religious status quo. Why are things shifting and changing at Celebration Church? I believe, yes, you've been praying and God's answered your prayers. And we carry, Heather and I carry, there's a mantle on our lives for supernatural ministry. There's a mantle on our lives for Pentecostal Christianity. That's where we live. When we walk in, that's what we carry. That's who we are. Sorry, we can't be anything different. <laughs> if you're looking for something different, I'm sure there's a McDonald's down the road. But as for us, we are Protestant Pentecostal full of the Holy Ghost power. And that's who we are. And that's what we are. Acts 17.6 says this, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Do you have the reputation that you're turning the world upside down? <laughs> wow. We went to China. Many of you have heard our, we love China. We're going to China and, Viet, China and Vietnam in the summer. We're taking a team. Uh, so information will be coming out on that. But when we went to China, it was our first trip to China. And the, the minute we stepped on Chinese soil, it was like we, world shaking was starting. We walked in, and this, I'm not talking about, I'm not trying to glorify us. This is, I'm just giving you an example that we, we should be world changers wherever we go. We, we went to China. And we walk in, we start doing small groups. They, obviously, church situation is a little complicated in a communist country. And so we were going to home groups, doing home groups. Our first home groups that we did, the very first night we flew in and we do home groups. And our home groups bust out in supernatural joy. We're talking about Chinese folks who have never heard, seen, or experienced, knew that there was a, such a thing as supernatural joy, and then the baptism in the Holy Spirit with speaking tongues. They had no idea that this was even possible. And without saying anything or doing anything about it, the supernatural, tangible presence of God shows in, up in the room, and they begin to laugh and to speak in tongues, so much so that one of our groups, 
the one of the groups that uh, the, the pastor that was overseeing this ministry that we were with had to actually come and get some of the folks from the meeting and take them home because they were too intoxicated to ride public transportation. And so they, they had to come get them and take them to their home. It was such a mess. And it began to stir. It really did stir a mess in the church because all of a sudden there was Pentecostal power on the scene. There was something supernatural happening. And people who thought this was just going to be a safe little Chinese church were getting blown out of the water and people left. People left the church over it. People, that, people who were leaders in the church left because Pentecostal power had shown up in the church and they were uncomfortable with it. Supernatural Christianity is uncomfortable. When you begin to see people fall or roll on the floor, physical manifestations or healings or passionate worship take place, it's uncomfortable and it's meant to be uncomfortable. It's meant to offend the mind. You and I weren't meant to understand and and figure out all the things of God. The last time I checked, His ways are higher than your ways and His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so we just begin to say, God, I don't understand it all. I'll read your word and I'll study and, and, and I'll make sure whatever's happening lines up with what I know scripture says. But beyond that, I understand I'm not going to figure it all out. And it's okay. (laughs) Yes, it's okay. It will be okay. It will be okay if you end up on the floor. Yeah, I promise. It will be wonderful if you end up on the floor. It will be okay if you pray in tongues a little louder than your neighbor. I promise it will be okay. It will be okay if you give a shout in church every once in a while. It'll be just okay. It will be okay. I promise. Acts 17, verse 22 and verse 23 says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the, of the men of Athens, and he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. In other words, as Protestant Pentecostals were not afraid to confront the religious systems with the truth. Paul was not afraid to bring truth to the religious systems of the day. Uh, When when people bring their religious things uh, and try to get religious with me, that doesn't bother me. I, I know exactly where that's coming from. It's not from the Holy Spirit, that's for sure. It's coming from their flesh and truth. The Bible says truth will set you free. And so Paul begins to teach the truth. The unknown God that you're talking about, the unknown God that you're worshiping, that's the God I'm preaching. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 17 shows us the reward of this hardship. When we're a challenge to the religious and the status quo, not everybody's going to like you. This isn't how to win friends and influence people in your best life now. I'm sorry. When you're full of Pentecostal power, I know I just stepped on somebody's toes. When you're full of Pentecostal power, you're more than likely there's going to be somebody who doesn't like you. You can do all the principles and do all the right things, but when you're full of Pentecostal power, it's going to rub some people the wrong way. How do you know? (laughs) I've been there. I have a few of those. (laughs) And that's okay. I don't anticipate that everybody's going to like me. Not everybody liked Paul. Matter of fact, let's read what he says to Timothy. Paul actually named who they were. Y'all got it easy. I I probably won't name your name if you you do something wrong. But Paul named their names. And and they're recorded in the Bible. (laughs) So, man, don't, don't do something wrong. You might get your name named and then 
uh, written in the Bible. And so 2 Timothy, he says this, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. You know, it was the religious people that had a problem with Paul. It was the religious people. It wasn't, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the Gentiles that had problems with Paul. It was the religious people that had problems with him. Those were the people that kept trying to put him in prison. It was those people that kept beating him. It was those people that kept trying to stop him from doing the work he was called to do. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas, there he goes, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry, and and, uh, Titius, however you say these wonderful names, I have sent to Ephesus, bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Man. Sometimes taking a stand for what's right, sometimes taking a stand for Protestant Pentecostal Christianity is not easy. It doesn't always mean that there's going to be a bed of roses and everybody's going to love you and accept you in with open arms. Uh, Actually, just the opposite is true. But those who are hungry, those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who know their need for something more and something real will come and they'll receive from the ministry that you and I pour out. It's those are, the, those are the people that we want to minister to. Those are the people that we say, God, give us more of. We want to find those who are hurting, who are broken, who are hungry, who are depressed, who are discouraged, who are standing out on the street corners begging for money. Those are the ones that we want to reach. This quote regarding Azusa Street, the meeting on Bonnie Bray, I love this. The meeting on Bonnie Bray convinced me not so much because of the speaking in tongues or the pattern of the meeting, but I could sense these were spiritual people. There was no nonsense going on. Although I didn't quite understand the matter of speaking in tongues, I was convinced these people were sincere. That night as I drove home, I felt quite disturbed and asked myself, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about your church? It was evident this this teaching could revolutionize our whole theory. This was a pastor who attended the Azusa Street Revival. Leonard Ravenhill says this in, in in the book, Why Revival Tarries. By its very nature, fire begets fire. If other combustible material is about fire, we'll only spread its kind. See how great, a, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Fire can never make ice, and the devil certainly cannot make saints. Neither can prayerless pastors produce warriors of intercession. Yet one spark from an anvil may set a city on fire. From one candle, 10,000 others may take light. And then Azusa Street quote this says this, The present worldwide Pentecostal manifestation did not break out in a moment like a huge prairie fire and set the world on fire. In fact, no work of God ever appears that way. There is a necessary time for preparation. The finished article is not realized at the beginning. And I just want to say this about celebration. We are Protestant Pentecostal church. We have seen, we've been here, Heather and I have been here, I think, three months And in three months' time, we have seen this church literally 
turn 180 degree. There has been a significant, and some people may say, well, you know, and I, we've had people ask, well, do you realize how much we've changed? Oh, yeah, we realize. We remember when we first started coming. We realize. We've seen, we see there's been a drastic change in this church. There is a, matter of fact, where's Leah? Leah, there she is. In pre-service prayer, we were, we were in, in my office. I pray with the worship team and folks before service, and she was back there. And she said, I went, on, I went out of town and I missed, she was at another church while she was out of town. Am I telling this correct? It was, or was in town? She went to church with her mom Sunday after, after accident because she didn't have transportation. She went to another church and she said, I missed my church. She said, I missed the atmosphere of life that's in our church now. She said, it's different. And then Mike, was, Mike does traveling. He travels. And he said, this past couple of weeks, he's, he's been booking his travel, all of his international traveling around church services because he doesn't want to miss what God's doing in church. And so he's even, he's even booking flights at 4.30, 5.30 in the morning so that he can be here for service and see what God does because he's so excited about coming to church. All of these things, there's a change happening. There's a wind blowing. There's life in our church. Why is that here? Why is God doing that? Because there's a hurting world. There's a dying world. And God help us. Protestant Pentecostal Christianity is about impacting a generation. And there's a world around us that needs to know the life of God that's happening in here. There's, there's a generation, there's a world around us that needs to encounter this life, this spiritual life. I want us to close. If you can roll that audio clip just a few minutes of an audio clip. You may recognize some of these voices. I the altar, Lord, to send the flame. I'll be the sacrifice unto your name. Come, Holy Fire, consume me now. That's our, been our prayer. Lord, in your presence, I make this vow. Nothing but you, Lord, do I desire. You're grown only and one desire. Wonderful. Thanks, Dave. And I believe God is holding back. Until like that thing David wrote this morning, Lord, I can't live another day without the fire of God. You need the fire of God to pray. You need the fire of God to see visions. The fire of God to recognize there's no help for us. I don't want to cry as I've done so long. Like David in Psalm 80, Oh, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, Lord, don't stay there. Come down here. We need God here. Does it matter if it breaks your heart today? You're going to have million, millenniums in eternity. There'll be no sorrow there. You can't patch up your prayer life when you get to the judgment seat. You can't sacrifice when you get to the judgment seat. You can't weep when you get to the judgment seat. It's all between here and there. This period we're in now is a dressing room for eternity. That's all it is. You see... When these songs were written, people were desperate for a move of God because society had come so bad and so far from God. People were lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They were people who were far away from God. And a move of God had been a distant thing of the past. Churches had begun to talk about what God used to do. Churches had begun to talk about how God used to save back in the old days. And there was a generation that raised up and said, let me tell you something. If he's still God, he can still do it. 
They said there's nothing wrong with God. He still desires to pour his spirit up on hungry people. The problem is, is we're not hungry anymore. And a generation rose up, Steve, and said, I'm hungry for something from God. And it doesn't have to come through my church denomination in order for me to accept it. It doesn't necessarily have to come the way I want it to come. I just want it to come. Oh God, a burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. Your blood bought gift today we claim, send the fire today. make this verse apply to them, Lord. To make our weak hearts strong and brave, stand a fire. To live a dying world to save, Lord, send the fire. Yeah. 
I believe you're going from this place. 